Thanks for downloading this week's Revolution Community Church podcast. We hope you are challenged by this talk and will share it with your family and friends. If this is your first encounter with Revolution, we hope you'll come and visit us at our Logosport campus located at 3324 East Market Street or check us out online at revolutioncc.org. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode at Revolution We Imagine 320. Can you guys be loud enough maybe this morning that they can hear you? You want to try it? All right. How are you guys doing this morning? Woo! Okay. All right. We'll have to ask them. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it made it, but we'll ask them. Anyway, my name is Julie, and I am so excited to be here this morning. I've been really excited um, for this message since last Sunday. If you were here last Sunday, you got to be part of an amazing, amazing morning here at Revolution. And I don't know what kind of week you've had, if it's been like mine, it's been a little exciting. You know, my my first grader went back to school this week, and he had a fantastic week. Some of you sent kids back. Um, Maybe it's been a little exhausting. I also had one that wasn't wanting to sleep, of course, through this week. Um, It's just been all the highs and lows, but I guarantee there's no place I would rather be than right here at Revolution for this party this morning, and I'm so thankful that you've chosen to be here too, because as I said last week, we um, wrapped up the Shaped to Serve series, or journey, as Anthony referred to it, with an amazing message about how God never wastes an experience, and we heard some great stories of how those experiences shaped people and how God is using those experiences, hopefully, to connect those people with others. And we had an amazing time singing and just honoring God for all that he does and everything that he's created us to be. And then if that wasn't enough, we got to celebrate that four people made decisions to follow Jesus last week. Yes. It's amazing, right? Because that's what we're about. That's what it's all about. And I love how Anthony set up last week because I really feel like the journey didn't end last week. We're just continuing the journey on as we go into this series, Go. God's calling for ordinary people in everyday life. Does anyone out there feel ordinary this morning? Feel ordinary? Great. Then you're in the right place because it's for you and it's for me. And our whole focus during this uh, few weeks is going to be what's um, on a passage that's known as the Great Commission. And so I'm just going to go ahead and read that as we jump in to go this morning from Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20. And it'll be on the screen, I believe. Yes, thank you, Brownie. Um, Jesus came and he told his disciples, he said, I've been given all authority and in heaven on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that is where the Gospel of Matthew ends. Talk about famous last words, right? 
Because Jesus shows up to his disciples. And I'm not talking about the Jesus that we've seen up through the book of Matthew to this point. The living, fully man Jesus. This Jesus that appeared to his disciples is the risen Jesus. Come back to life as he promised them he would. And he's standing in front of them, his disciples that day, to command them to go. And these words are written down not just for those few that he spoke to, but they're written down for us today as followers of Jesus. And this is what he says. He says, I did my time here on earth. I came, I taught, I saw, I modeled what I want you to do. And now I'm giving you, I'm giving you the tax collectors, the fishermen, the ordinary everyday people. So today, that's you. I'm giving you the teachers, the bankers, the factory linemen, the stay-at-home moms. Whatever you are today, I'm giving you the power. I'm giving you the command to go and blast this world with my message. That is big stuff. It's important stuff, right? And it's for us. The Great Commission is one of the main reasons that we meet as a church, right? Because we want to take that love of Christ, that greatest gift, and we want to share it with other people. And oftentimes, we don't. That sharing, that, that, that spreading the news is called evangelism which is just a really big word for saying that's what we're doing, whether it be through public teaching or preaching through a church or some other venue of of being up on a stage and teaching or through personal relationships with people, which is much more common for us ordinary people. And I'm including myself in ordinary people because it's still a lot easier for me to to tell Anthony no to an invitation to be up here on Sunday mornings (laughs) than it is for me to say yes. But if you haven't, you know, if you didn't start the self-analysis as I read through the Great Commission of am I doing this, am I, am I not, you're probably doing it now after having heard that word evangelism. And you've probably put yourself in one of two groups. You're either in the group that says, yes, I love to talk about my faith. I take every opportunity I can to turn a conversation to Jesus, to talk to people about it, to share his love, to share what he's done in my life. I just, I can't get enough of it. And for you, you get excited, and it doesn't so much matter what that person you're sharing with's response is. Like, you're not going to be heard, and you're not going to take it personal if they don't agree with you, or if they don't immediately believe the same thing or change their life around. You're just, your perspective is, Jesus said go, and so I say, okay, I'll go. My husband had a friend who um, would often invite him to go fishing, and Kyle got really excited the first time that this, this friend said, hey, come on, let's go fishing, because it had been a while since Kyle had gone out and just enjoyed some time by a lake or a pond, and he was really disappointed when he realized that this guy was not intending to catch fish. Go fishing was in reference to something that Jesus said earlier in the book of Matthew. In chapter 4, he said, I will make you fishers of men which was what he told his disciples he was going to do, meaning I'm going to teach you how to lead people to God. And so go fishing was this friend's way of saying that he was just going to intentionally set out, whether it be to the park, I know he went there often, or a mall, or anywhere that there would be a large group of people, mostly who he didn't know uh, before that, and just intentionally share the gospel with them. And he would get excited and passionate about that. And maybe some of you have experienced that. You've done that. You know, you wouldn't be surprised if in your spiritual gifts assessment, maybe that you did during our shaped journey, um, evangelism was one of your high-ranking traits. And if it was, you probably weren't surprised because it is something that you are passionate about. Now, for the rest of us, and I say rest of us because I'm assuming this is the much larger group, a host of emotions might come up when we hear evangelism, and excited is not one of them. 
right? Um, it might be actual physical stress that you begin to feel like, oh, I'm in this situation and, and I want to share Jesus, but I'm just getting so nervous and your palms get sweaty or maybe everywhere gets sweaty and your heart starts to beat faster. And even if you wanted to say something in that moment, you know that if you tried, everything would get mixed up and nothing intelligible would come out and they'd just be a big old mess, right? So we feel that actual physical stress. Maybe it's fear. Maybe when you think about sharing your faith, you get afraid because what if I don't say the right thing? Or what if I say something and it's actually backwards and they don't understand it? And then what if, what if I offend them or I insult them? Or what if they ask me a question and I don't have the answer for it? Maybe when you think of evangelism, you feel a little guilty. I tend to feel guilty because clearly it was important to Jesus. It was a command that he gave us to go and to share, and I don't. Maybe it's because I don't think that I know enough. Maybe it's because you don't, um, you know, you're just not comfortable. Maybe it's because you've tried it in the past and it didn't work. It's just not my gifting. I'm not, that's not my job. Someone else will do that, right? And whatever our list could go on and on and on, but at the end of it, we still have that feeling of guilt Because we don't feel like we're doing well something that Jesus commanded us to do. And why is it that something that's so important, so pivotal in our faith, causes such stress for us? I think a big reason is that for us ordinary people who haven't been trained and haven't practiced, practiced, practiced it, we don't understand our role in the process. And maybe for those who have been trained at it, who have done it a lot, still don't quite understand what our role as followers of Jesus is in this process. Maybe we don't even understand that it's a process. Oftentimes we think of evangelism as an event. Like, I'm going to share my story. I'm going to share the message of Jesus, and and this person's going to hear it. And if they don't respond in a favorable way, then I failed. Then I'm no good at evangelism. And that event is over, and and it's not going to work, and there's no hope for that person anymore, right? Or there's no hope for me sharing the message of Jesus. But that's not, it's not an event. It's a process. Evangelism is something that takes time, and it takes stages and processes to go through, but we put all this pressure on ourselves to get it right. I know that's how I viewed the Great Commission for far too many years after I decided to follow Jesus, and I wanted to share my faith, and I was passionate, and I was excited about it, and so I tried, and I failed. (laughs) Because I shared with some of my siblings, and they didn't really care, or I shared with one of them, and he straight up made fun of me, and um, I just felt like, okay, so I'm not going to be that person to them. God, I hope you send somebody else, because I felt like I had failed. And Jesus knew that his disciples, the ones that he spoke to in this passage, would feel that way. He knew that thousands of years later, as followers, even though we're excited, even though we are passionate about it, that we would struggle with how it's supposed to happen. So he spoke to that in a parable in Matthew chapter 13. He saw that his disciples would struggle. He knew. And so he taught them. And and it's the first parable that we read in the book of Matthew. And a parable, Jesus used them often. It's simply a story that uses something that we're really familiar with. In this case, farming. Very familiar with farming. If you don't know, my husband is a farmer. And so uh, this makes good sense to me. And it would have to Jesus' disciples, too, because it was a very common trait then. So he used this to explain something more difficult to understand, which was evangelism. 
So I'm just going to start reading in Matthew chapter 13, verse 3. Jesus says, he's talking to a crowd at this point, and his disciples are in the mix. He says, listen, and as a parent, when you start something with listen, what does that mean? You want them to pay attention, right? We start it, like, get, focus in here. So he says, a farmer went out to plant some seeds, and as he scattered them across his field, some seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And the disciples stood there, and I just kind of imagine this look on their face. I heard... I listened. I don't understand. And it might have been a few seconds. It might have been a few minutes. I'm not sure. But thankfully, the disciples spoke up and said, Jesus, okay, I get the farming. It makes sense. But what does that mean for us? What does that mean as your followers? And Jesus answered them. He explained. After some time, he explains, you know, a little bit more in depth about parables and why he spoke in parables. And then he continues and he explains, starting in verse 18, what this parable meant. And so pay close attention to this because it applies to us and our command to go today. He says, now listen to the explanation. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. So maybe it's crystal clear now. I see some heads shaking, and maybe you're still feeling a little like the disciples did at the break, a little like, what does that mean for me? So let's break this down a little bit. Verse 19 says that the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message. So the message equals the seed. The seed is the message of Jesus. It's the truth of what Jesus came and did for us because of his great love, and that is big, and that is important, and we need to know it, so much so that I'm going to let Anthony handle that in the next couple of weeks, okay? But for today, what we need to know is that the seed is the message. And who is responsible for scattering the seed? Who's responsible for planting? The farmer or the sower. That is you and me. As followers of Jesus, we are commanded to go and spread the message, which leaves the soil. And the soil is the variable in the story. Did you pick that up? The soil is the thing that's changing. The message is the same. The sower is the same. The, the soil is what changes the outcome. And the soil represents the heart of those you're sharing Jesus with. And this is important to get because even though I can have the perfect words and the perfect Bible verse and the perfect metaphor... That person might not respond in that moment. And if you're like me, you tend to get a little upset by that. But what I want you to consider is that is a very freeing truth. 
Because it says, it's not about me, it's not about my words, it's them. It's not me, it's them, right? Kind of that, that joke of a bad breakup. They just weren't ready for it yet. Their soil, their heart is not prepared to receive the message of Jesus. So what does that mean for us? If, does it just mean that we just need to talk about Jesus more or play more Christian music in our office? Do we need to send them more cards with Bible verses on it? Those things are important. I'm not going to deny that. But it's not everything. Their salvation, their decision to follow Jesus or not, is not my responsibility. But I get to be a part of it. God can use me, but it's not on me to make it happen. And I hope that that is a freeing truth for you. Andy Stanley's a brilliant teacher and communicator. Some of you may recognize his name because every once in a while we'll see a video message up here of him. He's the guy that stands there with the screen right beside him and just talks for 20 minutes and it makes perfectly clear sense. Someday I'm going to be really cool like Andy Stanley and not use notes, but today I'm going to be cool like Julie and I'm going to steal from him because my theory is if you're going to steal, steal from the best. So I'm going to steal this process that he laid out of what evangelism looks like because so it's not an event, right? It's not one moment. It's a process, and it's a process that's not focused on me, the messenger. It's more about the heart of the person that I'm sharing with. And so I'm going to create this character to walk through this with because it's easier for me to explain if I tell you about my friend Sarah. She's fictitious, but we're going to say that Sarah is a young woman who doesn't really care about church. She might have experience with Christianity. She might have a little understanding of it. But what we know about Sarah right now is that faith and Jesus are not a priority to her. Okay, so how do we go from that, where Sarah doesn't give a care, to Sarah becomes a follower of Jesus? It's in this process that Andy Stanley does in seven steps. So the first is meet the messenger. Sarah would meet a follower of Jesus. It could be a coworker that she meets at work. Maybe it's this nice woman she meets at yoga class. Anywhere it can happen, right? The, the key is she meets the messenger, and then she begins to like the messenger, Sarah begins to connect with this person for whatever reason. They find common ground. And as she gets to know her, Sarah realizes this person is a Christian. And that is one of the reasons that Sarah is drawn to her, because of that. And as this relationship develops, because we all know as we're, as we're meeting new people and getting to know people, we're watching them, right? We're observing them. I'm not going to say we're judging, but we're watching how they handle life, and we're listening to how they respond to people and things. So Sarah's doing that, and as she does that, she realizes that this messenger is constantly looking through their lens of faith, is constantly or regularly pointing things back to Jesus, pointing things to the Bible. And through this, Sarah becomes aware of the Bible's relevance. She sees that this messenger is different because they apply the Bible to their life. And as Sarah continues this relationship, she realizes that the Bible is a really good thing. Not only is it relevant, it applies to my life, but it's really good. She develops a positive attitude toward the Bible because she sees this messenger modeling it. Does this all happen in one conversation? No. It takes time, right? It takes time to move through this. It takes time then. And the next next step that Sarah would hit then, or stage if you want to put it that way, which she would, she would begin to hear and understand what the Bible means. 
So as she's watching this messenger, maybe even having very frank, direct conversations about why do you follow Jesus or why do you keep saying that, that God's got it? Why do you keep saying that this is what you, just, you know, why you do what you do? Maybe very direct conversations. Sarah begins to realize that it's true and that it can apply to her life. And she recognizes a personal need. She recognizes, I need what that person has. I need that peace. I need that hope that this person has because it so affects their life. I've realized that it's not just a book of rules. I've realized that it's not just about attending a church. It's about a relationship that transformed that person from the inside out. And I need that. And when someone can recognize that need, they're then prepared. Their heart is ready to make that decision to put their faith in Christ. So because Sarah has realized that need, she now decides to follow Jesus. That is the process of evangelism. And as you're sitting here this morning, I hope you've already begun to apply your story to that process. Because chances are you didn't just hear one morning and believe. It's a process. It takes time. And so on this side of faith, as followers of Jesus, why do we put all that stress and anxiety on ourselves to make it happen in one conversation or one really great, perfectly designed, orchestrated message on a Sunday morning? It's a process. You know, when I consider my process, I'm so thankful for the way that God worked it out. It took some time, and often I, I tend not to share Mine, because in comparison to other people's stories, I feel like mine's kind of boring. Um, but it's important. It's important. And so I'm just going to share a little bit this morning just so you can see some of these points, right? Um, I was raised in a, a church-going family. I'm the youngest uh, of eight children in a Catholic family. So on Sunday morning, you could find my family in the front pew. We were that family that took up the whole pew. 9.30 Mass, Sunday mornings. And um, I was raised in a very loving home, but as I entered, not but, I mean I was raised in a loving home, as I entered middle school, I had some major self-esteem issues, Um, and I did not understand who God had created me to be. I didn't think I had any worth, I didn't think I had any talent, I didn't think I had any ability, and I had a teacher, I remember telling this teacher, I remember this conversation, I told her, you know... When God designed my family, he gave sister number one this talent, sister number two this talent. I mean, I went down the whole list, okay? And I got to number eight, and I was like, and he was done. He was out of it, and so I have absolutely no value. I mean, I, was, I believed it. You guys laugh, and I laughed this morning too. But I truly believe that, and I had this track that ran through my head of you're no good. I struggled making friends because I was awkward and, you know, aren't we all sometimes? But I didn't have a lot of friends in that season, and so it was really difficult But this teacher was a messenger in my life. This teacher didn't just ignore me. She didn't just say, Julie, get over it. There might have been some days where she was very direct and did tell me to stop, but I probably needed it. But she spoke life over me. She shared her experience as um, being in a family with several kiddos. She encouraged me. She told me what she saw in me. You know, kind of going back to that shaped uh, message that we heard at the park of, like, calling out what you see in people. She did that for me over a series of a couple years. And what Mrs. Arnett did, a lot of you know her as Lisa, but I still feel way more comfortable calling her Mrs. Arnett. 
What she did in that season, even though I didn't know it in the time, was she shaped and she spoke to me about the truth that I, my identity is not in my family. My identity is not in where I'm coming from or what my talents and abilities are, but my identity is in who God created me as, a child of God, fit to do his work. And I didn't quite understand it at that point, but she was a pivotal messenger. And at the same time as she was speaking this truth and this life into me over a couple years, it took a while, (laughs) um, there was a, a girl that moved in down the road. And I also grew up out of town. And so neighbors in general are uncommon. And neighbors your age are very uncommon. So at this point, I'm really excited that I meet this girl named Jenny because she moved in a couple houses down. And Jenny had spent a week at summer camp. And she came back and she was excited and she was joyful. And she's kind of a bubbly girl anyway. But if you asked her something direct about an experience, she would just kind of turn red and laugh. And she didn't really have a lot of answers. So that following summer, she invited me to go to camp. And my parents said yes, and so I did. And um, I went to Hidden Falls Salvation Army Camp in southern Indiana. And you guys, I was there for three days before I even knew that the Salvation Army was a church. Took me a little while. But through that time of preparing the soil in my heart, I was ready. And through that invitation from my friend Jenny... That when the speaker at camp that week began to talk about Jesus loving me so much that he died for me. And it's a, I, mean, I knew that Jesus had died on the cross. I knew that he rose again. That was a truth I'd been raised for. But I didn't realize that I needed that. And the speaker said, Jesus wants to be your friend. And I needed a friend in that season. And so I responded, and I know I went to the back of the chapel, and I sat down with Becca, the camp lifeguard. I can remember it. And I prayed, Jesus, I do love you, and I want a friend. And I'm sorry for the things that I've done. I'm sorry for the way that I've treated myself and talked about myself. I'm sorry for the things I've done to others. God, I love you, and will you please forgive me? And I put my trust in Jesus. And in that moment, I didn't understand the full story of what was going on. But my life was never the same. From that moment when I decided, I need Jesus as my friend. And I decided to trust and follow him. There's a good chance, like my story, yours spans time. Maybe it's months. Maybe it's years. But we get that it's a process, right? It's not a moment. It's a process where God is working on our heart. Because if we hear the message and we're not ready, we're not going to accept it. We're not going to respond in the right way. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, I am not to the bottom of that list. I'm not through that process. Maybe you can pinpoint where you're at. Maybe you're a two. You've met someone, a coworker who you've, you've recognized as a believer and they invited you to come to church. Or, or maybe you just have been through some stuff and you're seeking something. I'm so glad you're here this morning. I personally feel like this is one of the safest places to walk through this process. And we have people here who are willing to talk with you. We have life groups that meet weekly. And you can be anywhere in that process. You don't have to be all the way to a seven to jump into a life group. Ask the questions. Find the answers because that is necessary as Jesus works on preparing your heart. It's necessary as you build your personal base for faith. 
So the question we have to answer this morning is, if evangelism is a process focused more on the preparation of soil than it is on my giving a message, what does that mean for me? How do I respond to Jesus' command to go? We're going to talk a lot about, in the next couple weeks, talking the talk and walking the walk and what that's practically going to look like and maybe even some direct things to say because I know a lot of us get caught with, like, Ugh, what words do I use? We get afraid. But there's three basic, extremely intentional things that I want to ask you to consider doing. And the first is to know your story. And it sounds silly to you, right, because you're like, of course I know it. It happened to me. But be very intentional about reflecting back on who those messengers were in your life. Think about those seasons, maybe those exact moments where you stepped from one stage to the next. And then practice your story. Tell your spouse. Maybe they already know it. There's an easy listener. Tell your kids. Imagine what kind of conversation that can bring up. Not just for you, but for your kids as they're building their own personal faith. Share your story in life group. Yikes. It's a big step. But it's important to do that, right? Maybe, maybe if you're here this morning and you say, I don't, I don't have a story, but you've recognized those people in your life who you think have a story, ask them. Ask them why it is they talk about Jesus all the time. Ask them why it is that they are so calm and peaceful over these crazy situations. Because I truly believe that every single follower of Jesus wants to share that. Like Grace, I love the example Grace gave. We have the most amazing gift ever. We have the living hope of Jesus. Why would we not want to give that away? But we get scared. So ask us. Open the door for that conversation to happen. Because as we share our story, we become more comfortable with it. And we begin to see where those points are, where those stages are. Which leads me to the next intentional thing that we can do. And that is to become sensitive to where people are at in the process. You have to know where those people around you are. Right? Andy Stanley says this is the heart of evangelism because in order to be effective in leading people into relationship with Christ, we must first discover where they're at in the process. In other words, to know where to meet them at, we have to know where they are. It does us no good to be quoting scripture and, and sending Bible verses to somebody who could care less about the Bible, who doesn't even think it's real or relevant, that it's just a nice book of wisdom. On the other hand, we can't assume that just because somebody recognizes the Bible as relevant, that they recognize a personal need. This changes what we say. It changes how we approach what conversations come up, right? So we need to be aware of where they're at. And the key in this step is cultivating relationship. It's be kind to them. It's be friendly. Ask questions. Reserve judgment. Be a listening ear. Speak truth when you can. Share your experience, right? No experience is wasted. Chances are you have gone through some junk in order to meet people in the middle of their junk. To be really frank and honest with you, as I was looking at this process laid out, I could count on one finger the number of people that I've walked through all of these stages with. So if the pressure wasn't already off for you to be a good evangelist, there you go. Took about six years, 
That's my six-and-a-half-year-old son, Raleigh. That's the one person that I can say I've been through every single stage with. I've had the pleasure and the honor of witnessing people as they move from one stage to the next, but I have not, in my mind, I can't remember, I can't think of another person that I've been that. So that takes more pressure off of me because I'm not always going to be the first messenger. And I'm not always going to be the person who gets to see it through to the end. That's an amazing moment, right? Have you ever been able to see someone or pray with someone as they say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you? It's an amazing moment. But I haven't been through the fertilization of the soil. I haven't been through the preparing of the heart with as many people. But I don't have to be because it's not about me. It's about them. And it's about God's faithfulness in their life as he prepares them to be ready to hear the message. And because of that, the third step is to commit to helping others take the next step. Once you've discovered where they're at, once you know what they're thinking, then it's your job to help them take the next step. And what does that look like? I don't know. It's going to be different in every situation. But it's going to look like a whole lot of praying. God, they recognize that the Bible is true. God, help me, use me, use my life and my example to help them realize that personal need. God, I know this person is struggling right now with truth, and I know that they don't want anything to do with you, but use me in their life. God, how can I talk to them? How can I speak to them? Show me the opportunities today. Even if it's one sentence a day for three years, be committed to helping them through that process. I've read this book, um, and I recommend it. It's called Parenting by Paul David Tripp. If you are a parent, scratch that. If you have influence over kids in this room this morning, this book is a must-read, so much so that Kyle and I decided we're making our life group go through it. It's true. Actually, they picked it. They said it was okay. But it's an amazing book, um, and in it, the author continually points parents back to their role as a parent. And I, I want to share the quote because it's so easily applies to our role as messengers. So think about that as I read this. He says, your work as a parent is a thing of extreme value because God has designed that you would be a principal, consistent, and faithful tool in his hands for the purpose of creating God consciousness and God submission in your children. You can't create it yourself, only God can, but you have been appointed to be an irreplaceable tool in his powerful hands. Take a minute to think about that. Replace parent with messenger. Your work as a messenger is a thing of extreme value. Replace children with coworker or family member. Maybe you even have a specific name. Your role as a messenger is to be a tool to create God consciousness, to show Jesus to Joey. When we take the pressure off of ourselves, we can connect with people. We see those, we identify those people in our life who don't have a relationship with Jesus. We, we commit to becoming aware of what they do know, what they do believe, and we commit to being a tool in the hand of a mighty God who can transform their heart. Are you willing to go and do that? Because if you are, I think that the fear and the guilt and maybe even the stress that happens in that moment will fade. If not, at least lessen. And I pray that it's replaced with joy and excitement for the part that you get to play in what God is doing in the hearts and lives of those around you.
Because Jesus did say, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And don't miss this part. Because this isn't the command to go anymore. This is the promise that Jesus gives you and me as we go. Jesus said, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You can do evangelism. You can share the message of Jesus because he is the one doing it through you. He's the one working on their heart, preparing their soil, and you simply need to be willing to be a tool in the hand of a mighty God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are our living hope, that you have given us the greatest gift, connection with you, connection with your Father, And Lord, I pray that you would be with each of us this morning, God, as we're at different points in this process, God, of coming to you, Lord. God, lead us to the next step. God, use us as tools to to share with those people around us. Remind us, Jesus, this week that it's not about perfect words. It's It's not about me, but it's about them, God. Make us aware of the things you're doing in the lives and the hearts of those around us and use us, Jesus as tools to lead them to the next step. God, be with us. God, your promise is that you will always go with us, and we rest in that this week. In Jesus' name, amen.